Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So my old man fell off a roof um, when I was 17. So you are friggin' passionate about this shit. Yeah, because I've lived, breathed, and need it, mate. I've seen the family unit break down. I've seen the assets lost. I've seen the mentality of a family completely change. And Hi there, everyone. I'm your host, Bram Connolly, and this is my podcast. Each week, I tackle a theory, unpack a skill, or answer questions on one of the themes of leadership, resilience, or human optimization. I truly believe that positivity is contagious. After all, have you ever seen anyone successfully lead through negativity? If you have, then let me know because it'll be the first time that's ever happened and I need to interview that person. That'd be hilarious. I also believe everyone should seek challenges to build their personal resiliency. You know, by continually seeking new frames of reference through learning new skills and attempting things they could just possibly fail. Or in my case, by actually failing a lot. And finally, I know there's smarter ways for us to be better at being human. And so I want to seek these scientifically proven ways by speaking with athletes, academics, and people who strive for greatness in their chosen fields. So, this then is the Warrior You podcast. It's a podcast devoted to the warrior within and the physical warrior you were born to be. Join me on this path, and together we'll learn more about leadership, resiliency, and human optimization. I promise. Before I get some random person to read out this week's podcast review, I want to say a few words about my sponsors, and also give you some discount codes for their amazing products. Firstly, Aussie Strength. Righto. These guys have been behind the Warrior U podcast from the very, very beginning. The team at Aussie Strength have provided financial support to the podcast and also equipment to me personally. Not only that, they've also been there for me to ask them business ideas. They're a great veteran-owned business in their own right, and they are crushing the business-to-business gym fit-out scene, and they deliver direct to the public too. They actually have a dedicated Warrior U page on their Aussie Strength website. So go check it out for amazing deals on tactical weight training equipment. That's www.aussiestrength.com.au forward slash warrioru forward slash. And this week, I'd like to also shout out my newest sponsor, Ironside Coffee. Most of you know I love a coffee. In fact, my sister told me to stop posting coffee pictures on Instagram because it was boring. So as a result, we're no longer related. Ironside Coffee is another veteran-owned business. They have a coffee van in Canberra, and they deliver fresh coffee direct to your door anywhere in Australia. Well, not a coffee, but, you know, beans. So basically the same thing. You just got to make the coffee yourself. I'm super honoured to be an early part of their marketing strategy, and I really want this business to grow. So please do help me to help them, okay? Check them out, Ironside Coffee. And if anyone else would like to sponsor the Warrior U program, reach out to me directly, bram at warrioru.com.au. Hello, I'm Andrew. I am the star of this show. Okay, you're the star of the show. Podcast review by Alden W99. The title, uh, Good Start to Be Better Than You, were the day before. Five stars. 
great stories and advice, the life lesson are things that can be applied to anyone, no matter what stage of life and career. Thanks, Alden. This week on the Warrior You podcast, I talk to Liam O'Connor, the group Health, Safety, Environment and Quality Manager for Tasman Rope Access. Tasman Rope Access provides a transition pathway for ADF veterans to enter the rope access industry across multiple sectors. Their program continues to receive ongoing positive responses and they are seeing clients and other competing contractors start to provide similar programs across their businesses. Tasman Rope Access received an initial shortlisting for the achievements of the program last year through the Prime Minister's Veterans Awards. They have just commenced the 2019-2020 intake seeking candidates to work in the rope access industry. I think you guys will love this episode. We discuss rope access, obviously, working at heights, selecting candidates, fly-in, fly-out work, and mental health across the rope access and mining industry in general, among other things. Uh, it was a great fun podcast for me. He's a great guy, and I think you get a lot out of it. Let's get into it. Yeah, it's brutal on me because I, I find that um, sleep is more important to me than working out, like mentally. And so I get back to the room by eight, and I'm and I'm done. I'm in bed, and I'm crashed out. And then I'm up at four to be, or up at four thirty to be on the road at five past five to be there six. For, for five to six to start work, and then and then you're eating everything because I'm an emotional eater. You know, and then I finish at the end of the uh, in eight days or whatever it is swing, and you just you're just wrecked at the end of it. Well, we had guys that were doing intermittent fasting out on site, and they're doing seventy two hour fasts in the middle of summer. You're like, what is what's going through your head thinking that's safe to do out here? Forty eight degrees. <laughs> I can see how it's, I can see how it's good on your body. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no word of a lie. We had two boys, no history of anaph- like anaphylactic shocks, no nothing, just went into fits ketogenic and then yeah just pushing the body too far and then doctors have cleared them and everything like that but it was an absolute wake-up call for our workforce to go don't be doing this to your body it's not it's yeah. not healthy this is this, it's not the environment to be doing it it's not yeah. controlled you know? were you in the military yourself no one of those heroes that always wanted to do it but never got around to it yeah what would you have done if you joined the military i actually don't know to be very honest yeah um yeah i've always drifted towards leadership roles yeah but I'm not. Um, I'm. I'm happy behind a desk, but I like getting out there at the same point in time, out in the field, in the front line, actually dealing yeah. with the problems that are out there. Tell me about um, Tasman Rope Access. What is it? <laughs> oh, it's a it's our little baby that's been growing since 2015. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, we had. Well, where was I? Was, I was working in Perth and got made redundant, and then literally three weeks later, just fell into this thing and. Yeah. Myself and the general manager that was that was there, who was brought across from the east coast. Um, he was previously running another rope access company over there. What was that? Remember, Buell, that one called. Okay. No longer around. Mm. Uh, yeah, so we just got on like a house on fire, like best mates mm. carrying on. And after a year, another new best mate came on board as an operations manager. We've just been growing it ever yeah. since. Ever since then, you know, we just and there's not enough rope access techs in Australia, so we're just building and building and building. So the whole premise of the company is that wherever scaffold is, you can basically take all that away. Take away the additional tradesmen, the additional tools, all the risk, all the potential instances, and then we just go in there with ropes. We set ourselves up, and off we go. Yes, yeah. and and army dudes, especially ex special forces dudes, are perfect for that. But I mean, ADF people in general, I would assume. A hundred percent. Yeah, you know, risk it. Um, they understand the risk that's involved. Mm. Listen to process. There isn't, there isn't much risk involved. 
with ropes. Well, yeah, if you if you if you understand what you're doing with it and you have the back this is my this is my assumption as a yeah, as a lead as a lead climber, yeah. mountain warfare operator, um, on a high rise, I'd assume that you'd be able to mitigate heaps of risk by having the right backups in place. Yep, we've we've got that. Yeah. It's all the external factors. So yeah. the weather, the other contractors are around the work area, yeah. the tools that we're using, if they fail, that's where the yeah. actual risk comes in. So I've yeah, yeah. guys and good, you know, guys and girls out in the front, they're fine. They, they work. <laughs> Let me go back a work. second and say there's lots yeah. of risk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay. Now that, that actually in my mind now I can see what you're saying. So, I mean, like if you drop something, that's, you know. Everything's lanyarded, yeah. um, but it's other people looking into our work area going, oh, what's going on down there? And we've actually brought in things called safety nets that we install above and below where we're working. Right. And at the end of the shot, we're like, whose wallet is this? Whose hard hat is this? No. Who, what, who, where's this lighting plant from? Where's yeah. this tool from? Yeah. You know, the, my, my favourite one was literally someone's left shoe. You're like, how does someone's left shoe get on a, you know, you're on a mine site, how the hell would you have gotten away with that? You know, yeah. someone's walking around without a boot on. Yeah. So it's, it's frightening. It's, 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 that's the mitigation of the risk, people that are taking a lot of interest in what we're doing and yeah. just not knowing yeah. what, what we need in our work area. Yeah, and I, and I must admit, um, all of my climbing experience, roping experience, primarily, I've done a bit of urban stuff, mm. um, primarily is, you know, th- Three, three points of protection up on top of a rock ledge, mm-hmm. you know, um, brought into a central point where, so if one side fails, you've got two more to back it up. That's right. And then you're on a, a carabiner and over the edge and, you you know, the the point of failure that you're more worried about than anything else is the edge, the edging for when you're, <laughs> or for when you're climbing, it's the, yeah. the piece of protection that's underneath you, the last piece of protection that's underneath you. Yeah, that's, that's it. The edges are the ones that get you. The, the industry's bought in rope protectors now, so basically just the Velcro. Sheath that goes across the ropes, and that's mm. designed to protect any rubbing mm. against everything. Absolutely everything. Mm. Mm. Yeah, cool. So, how big is the company? Oof, mate, we've um we've got about four hundred and ten guys. Holy shit! Books. I yeah. did not see that coming. Really? <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to be like ten dudes. No, 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 mate. I'm looking for a job, man. Yeah. Let's have a. <laughs> well, we do is run the right? ADF program. Yeah, so we've got about two hundred and fifty out in the field. Anyone, wow. Anyone given time across Australia. So that's it, cool. It's really taken off, yeah. especially, you know, the cost-effective climate we're in at the moment. Yeah. Everyone's looking at ways to save dollars right. and increase safety. So. Yeah, so you're living in Peppermint Grove. I wish. <laughs> My board of directors are living in... Uh, yeah, living in yeah fair cool. Um, that's awesome, dude. I didn't realise it was that big. Yeah, so it's going well. And then our, our, basically our sister company, Tasman Power, has got about just under 200 Sparkies out there as well. Um, Crazy. Yeah, and the rest of the, the board of directors have a whole bunch of other subsidiaries. And they're nationwide as well, agriculture, defence... Yeah, civil construction. So yeah, big uh, big gig. So how many of them would you say percentage wise are ex ADF personnel? We actually ran the numbers yesterday. Like, so yeah, that transition program. Uh, yeah. We've got thirty four. Okay, that's pretty cool. So we've got another yeah potential. You know, another I think it's eleven candidates now came through yesterday for the next round of assessment, and it's that's not awesome. yeah. Even my HR people were like, we're in a weird situation where we don't know who to choose. Everyone is. You know, everyone's a high, high, absolute high standard, and I'd love to have all these people on my books anytime, any day of the week. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that's me drinking coffee. Um, that's amazing. And what about did you did you go down the path of um, you know like your gender diversity, Indigenous Australians, that sort of thing? Did you have a look at that? We did, um, but the problem is everyone's competing for the same talent pool. If I can use that term, yeah. You know, everyone's after the. Yeah. The female tradie, everyone's after the indigenous tradie, and for us, we do it. We've got them. Don't get me wrong, um, but for me, I, I don't make it a big stong and dance. If, if that yeah. makes sense, it's not the be all and end all of the company. We it is what it is. It is, mm. it is, yeah. And that's why when we look at the defence program, it's not a sexy buzzword at the moment. Where it wasn't when we first started off of bringing vets in. 
Yeah. And then the, the educational piece that came across when we're talking to, to all the clients saying, hey, this is this is what we want to do, completely underutilised workforce yeah. that's potentially sitting there that's ready to rock and roll, that's you know been trained by the best of the best to, to be able to operate in a mining environment. Mm. Why aren't we doing this? Did you feel like you were on Top Gun then when you said best of the best? <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted... Yeah, maybe. I've seen that movie in years, actually. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, I've gotten used now to using the term veteran for basically anyone who's served in the ADF and come out. Mm. I, you know, I sort of grew up in an era where a veteran was someone who'd been on combat operations. Mm. Um, but now I'm, I've reconciled the fact that a veteran is someone who's, who's served in the ADF and there's lots of uh, reasons why that that is used in the way that it is. Um, it's not constitutionally correct, but it is it is correct around, um, yeah. You might have some thoughts on that, I don't know. Um. <laughs> From my point of view, if you've uh, if you signed that piece of paper and you've gone to you know, selfishly sacrifice yourself to, yeah. uh, to serve the nation, then um, you know, that term applies. Yeah, and I think that's a fair call. Because I was talking to a friend about it the other day, um, and he's like, you know, if you've served in the police force, mm-hmm. you know, if you've served in the fire brigade, if you've served in the ambulance service, you know, you've given some sort of sacrifice to the to the nation you know, as part of a you know, nation building in that sense, and and therefore you're a veteran of that service. So um, I think maybe I was sticking too strictly to a term, mm-hmm. um, and probably for selfish reasons, because when I got back from Somalia in '93, we were the we were the veterans after the. Vietnam veterans, yeah. does that make sense? So, so we were like getting around like, hey, you know, we're, the, we're veterans. And then slowly over time, you know, most people have probably served overseas if they've been in the ADF. If they haven't, they've, they've still done stuff back here to support that. So it's taken me a while to get my head around that myself, to be honest. Yep. But um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> we'll live and learn. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so primarily um, Tasman Access works on supplying. You're a, you're a services Support sort of company, aren't you? Like a, you, know, you provide people to, to support other mm. other companies. Yeah, labour hire is part of what we do, but it's right. mainly the maintenance, mm. you know, maintenance installation and removal. Mm. Um, but anything, it's, it's, it's so hard to describe because we work across a range of sectors, but it's you know mining, oil and gas, civil construction, mm. agriculture, anything that just requires maintenance at a height that normally needs scaffold, that's where we can come in with the ropes. And what's your role? I work as the group HSCQ manager. So yeah. Across the whole... Across the whole subsidiaries, yes. <laughs> so yeah. Nice and, uh, nice and fun, nice and varied. Yeah. And, and would you, see, would you say, see health and safety as a leadership function or would you see that as a bolt-on, something like a policing, more of a policing thing? It depends on the company and which way that they're writing their system. Um, You've the seen old, both then? Yeah. 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 The old school ways of health and safety being the copper out in the, the front... They're gone. They're yeah. done. Um, and if companies want to follow that line, then that's when they see the, the injuries really start to, to rack up because they don't believe in it. They, they see the employer and they go, right, well, that person or they don't seem to believe in it, so why would I take extra precautions? Because they've got a person there who's their their safety rep mm-hmm. and that's that's what they're doing. And then when they're not around, they're just doing their own thing. As that's, a, that's correct. Yeah. As opposed to making it, okay. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, and so primarily the people that you support uh, through the labour hire company, their fly-in, fly-out support? Is that the sort of – or do they just – For our own labour. So we, we yeah. do provide labour. It's, it's a very small percentage of what we actually do, but it's the exact same. It's just the rope access. So other rope access companies, the smaller ones that you know maybe not be able to man their shut or man their project, that's when we can come in and go, right, okay, let's, let's give everyone a hand. So what's a day in the life of a you know Tasman rope access dude look like? 
<laughs> give us a generic version. Are we talking mining? Are we talking in the metro area? Let's go mining first. Let's go mining. Because I quite like mining. And then we'll go metro because that's pretty cool too. Yeah, it's, uh, metro's, metro's definitely where it's at. Um, mining, it's pretty much quarter to four up in the morning. Yeah. Uh, it depends if you want to go to the gym, you're up at three. Uh, if, if you're one of those morning guy workouts... You know, from there, you've got four. Half your luck. <laughs> That's it, yeah. yeah. Jim's actually quite busy at that time. Yeah. Um, around about four o'clock, you know, you showered, you're ready to rock and roll, you go down, you grab your crib. Mm. Uh, 4.30, you might come back, return a few emails, surf the web, whatever you want to do. And then five o'clock, most of the days, you're on a bus or in transit off to the site. 5.30, 5.40, you're normally on site. And then six o'clock, pre-start, and off we go. Um, 12 hours of absolute fun and madness, really. Yeah, right. And so when they're, when they're out on the site, it could be... Um, maintenance of cranes, maintenance of plant, things like yeah, things we, like that. we we basically deal with the plant side of things. So a lot of anything with a shoot bin in a, in a mine site, we're all over. Um, yeah. Anything with liner plates and you know just general fabrication, steel work as well. Yeah, and they do a TWR task workplace inspection before they do a job. Yeah, we've um. The whole, or do they do the client's version of that? <laughs> the whole industry has moved paper safe, which is um is so much paperwork involved to keep everyone safe to even get out there and there's actually no studies that prove that more paper increases safety so for us especially the clients got the client system that needs to be adhered to which is absolute no nonsense 100% has to be done can't argue against it then we've got our system because a lot of companies especially the, the, the bigger ones don't understand rope access and the risks that are associated you know we don't have slip trip hazards we're, we're hanging off a rope so we don't need to fill out the paperwork it's got to do with anything with slip trip um, and then on top of that you know, where am I going with this? <laughs> it's, uh, on top, it's it, people get bombarded so much with the, with the documents, It's they just switch off. They just go, right, tick it comes and flick. comes tick and flick. It is tick and flick. Tick and flick, tick and flick, get through it. And their mind just phases out. We see it in pre-starts. We see it during different toolboxes, you know. Um, and my big challenge and for the supervisors as well is to keep make it relevant and make people actually understand that, bring it back in and we can sort of phase out the nonsense which doesn't apply to us and let's actually focus on the risks which are in front of us right now this minute and will be for the next 12 hours. Man, oh, Liam, we've got heaps to unpack, dude, right? So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm a, I hate tick and flick. I had an awesome – I was at a um, industry leaders – a leaders industry forum, mm. I think it was, and I heard the head of safety – I think he was the head of safety. If he wasn't, he was senior in Watercorp. Yeah, right. Really good dude. And he was talking about how, you know, they have a structured process with um, identify the risk, you know, uh, sorry, identify the hazard, mitigate the risk, or all the usual, you know, risk management, which the Army uses mm-hmm. as well, which I was, you know, trained in. Um, and they had this really convoluted version of that. And, and then they still had a fatality even though they had, and it was a contractor fatality, and I won't go, I don't know the details, so I can't go into the details, suffice to say, it was a really sad story, it was very um, profound. Mm -hmm. And then what they they said was, this is way too complex for what we've got. And, and, And they introduced a thing where they simplified it, and as Einstein would say, um, uh, you know, make it simpler, don't simplify, or simplify it, don't make it simpler. I think that's what it, yeah, simplify something but don't make it simpler. Mm-hmm. So it's still a complex thing behind the scenes, you know, the theories behind safety. But what he had is, um, you know, three questions. So what can hurt me, what can kill me, and what am I going to do about it? Now, 
I know this is I know this is interesting, right? From a from a from a um, academic point of view, we're walking around in Bali with my sons. Yeah. My sons and I were over there, yeah. right? You know, Straight walking walking around Bali, you know, getting ready to go surfing, blah blah blah, walking down the main street, all that sort of good stuff. And um, and there's you know there's um, cars beeping at you because they want to pick you up to go to take you, you know, to take you. Um, you know, if taxi's beeping at you, there's scooters flying past, there's slippery pavement, there's dogs sitting in the middle of the pavement that are going to, you know, that will probably bite you and they've got blooming, you know, rabies. There's people people trying to get you to go into places. And as we're walking along, I said to the boys, right, because they were, they, were, they were just a bit skittish and looking around and worried. And I said, look, just keep thinking about what can hurt you and keep thinking about what then can kill you and then keep thinking about what you're going to do about it. And then my seven-year-old's walking around going, right, I could slip on that and that would hurt me, and I could f- slip on that and fall in front of a car. That would kill me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk up and around this. And I'm watching a seven-year-old go through this risk management yeah. ideal. Do you know what I mean? It was process, yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. And, and, I, and one of the things I've noticed from my own time with the mining industry and, and watching safety but from a leadership standpoint is that I go underground – I, I, won't, I know that I need those glasses on. I know I need a hard hat on. The reason I know all this stuff is because I'm bloody scared of it because I'm, I'm, I come from a place where things shoot at you and kill you yeah. or you step on things and they kill you. Or, you know, but now I'm in a, and, I, and I probably got complacent with those things. Truly, I did, actually. And, and now here I am walking around a mine site going, Jesus, I better not, this guy's grouting. I better not take my glasses off. You know, or you know, we're going under this this area here where you know there's the jumbos up there drilling a face. I better, you know, I've got my helmet on. The reason I got my helmet on is because a rock could fly off that wall and hit me in the head. Meanwhile, so so what's yeah. compelling me to do that is is the very real notion I could get hurt. Mm. But the more time they spend under there, they become complacent to the point where now they don't they take their glasses off once they get away with it. They take them off twice. The next thing you know, if no one's watching, they just don't have them on. Mm. Now I know that's too general. There's some miners listening to this now calling bullshit on it, but, the, but it is it is actually that that it is a complacency that no longer compels. So we need something else to compel people to be safe. And I, I assume with roping, and you know we used to do things to you know knowledge dispels fear. So we would we would start by doing rappelling, then you would do you know a forward rappel off of something. You know, so and then and then we would have rope bags and we'd throw the rope bags off and jump after them, yeah. you know, in a big crucifix sort of thing, and then pull yourself up at the end. Then we'd move on to you know helicopters and and rappelling out of the helicopters. Then we'd move on to fast ropes. Then we'd move on to sliding down elevator cables, you know, inside lift shafts with absolutely no protection. Right. No, so I see where you're going. Yeah, and so so you, you go boom 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 boom, and the next thing you know, it's night time. It's it's three in the morning. You're in a Black Hawk helicopter. You're out in the ocean. You're in thirty knot winds, and you're reaching out into the darkness to find a fast rope to go forty five to fifty to ninety feet onto the bridge of a ship that's rolling around. And you're on NVGs, and you're not scared. You should be bloody terrified yeah. of that. Do you know what I mean? You've just been preconditioned that nothing's Ab- going to happen. To absolutely. You. Now your operators are there. Over time, the say the 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 fear no longer compels to be safe at some point. That's where that's where I think tick and flicks become dangerous because it's like yep yeah, got 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 it got it got it done all this before insurance exercise yeah yeah absolutely whereas you know you get a pretty healthy respect for it when someone when you forget to put your carabiner into the uh, you know in, in I forget the name of it someone can write in and tell me 
the frad in the frad in the helicopter, yeah. you don't clip your your carabiner into it, and you've still got it in your hand. And the next thing you know, your gravity takes over, and you're going out the door, and you know, and someone's grabbing hold of you to pull you back in the aircraft. You know, you pretty soon learn that you're not you know, you're fallible. Um, so, so w- w- what do you do then to ensure that people aren't just doing a tick and flick on on those job sites for for roping in particular, we've we've had a big success with the program. We've got HSCQ delegates out there in the field now, so we sent out an email internally and said, you know, we know the comments about health and safety in general, where the industry is gone. Um, anyone that wants to come later on into the health and safety world, I'm happy to take you under my wing. We'll provide you a cert for in work health safety. Cool. Um, and basically get the training from the company, and we'll embed you in all the crews out in the front line. Uh, to pick up these risks because obviously matey matey chummy chummy everyone knows you know, they, can, they can talk to people they, they've got intricate knowledge of the equipment that's going on and the issues because they're, they're quite experienced operators themselves when they get out there they know the site they know the people they know what risks are out there so I sent an email I was expecting maybe three to four replies mm. um, I got 66 wow so out of the workforce and it's like please don't tell my friends I've, I've put my hand up for this and it's like why so, would you? so upskill me yeah it wow. massively into the upskilling. Yeah. Um, there is an email, there's an, sorry, a week that doesn't go by where I don't get an email from yeah. someone saying, hey, is there any training on offer from, from Tassie now this week? There's and it's not, it's not like, it's, it's probably not like where I'm currently working where upskilling into a Cert 4 in leadership and management or upskilling into a Cert 3 in metalliferous mining or upskilling you know, in, in a Cert 4 for HS, you know, health and safety or, or, or safety or whatever it is. It's not like... You know, for us, that's a ticket to go to another company, to go to another job. Whereas for you, it's like this is just to be better in your present that's right. company. They're not we, leaving. No, we we promote guys, and girls mm. from within. You know, and we've got this social impact program that's going on. The whole workforce, pretty much, and the clients have bought into it. It's taken a while, but everyone's seen the benefits of the program. And we're just trying to develop leaders within the company because mm. what's now happened is we've had people be elevated within from you know leading hand supervisors, supervisors, operations supervisors, and operations managers, and they're going, well, this is just isn't a shut game for like three days here, ten days there. This company has got a you know longevity work out yeah. of them, and they're looking for leaders to to basically cement that that work on that site. And I want to be that person. This is, I want this to be my baby. Yeah, that's, cool. That's the culture that we're trying to breed. Yeah, that's awesome. I've seen the name Tasman Rope Access around. I just haven't chased it up. <laughs> Um, this has turned into a paid interview. It's not. No, we just we're, we're going to talk leadership in a bit. But um, that's awesome. So tell me about this social. The social. Um, what, what did you call it? Social impact program. Tell me about that. So I'm. It's it's quite funny, right? Because I'm as right wing dinosaur as they come, as my mates would say. Right? Well, be careful. You're not that right wing. Oh, I'm not that right. No, not. <laughs> you know, I'm not Fraser Anning. Don't. <laughs> but it's anyway. Um, you so know, you're more Corey Bernardi. Yeah, sort of middle of the middle of the yeah, road. Yeah, middle of the road, and just yeah. anyway, what John Howard once was. <laughs> okay, go on. So, what I'm trying to say with this is that you know we we put in the social impact program, which which traditionally has been a, a factor of the left. You know, we need to include these people. We need to get a diverse workforce. And what I was saying is that we can have a we can have that, but we can make it fit our business, and we don't have to fit that definition of diversity and that division. You know, that that definition of inclusiveness. We can have there's a whole wide range of, of sectors in society which are completely underutilised at this point in time. Yeah. And just because it's not, as I said before, just because it's not the sexy buzzword, mm. it doesn't get the attention, you know. Mm. So one of the we've, – we've got the Indigenous program. We've got quite a few of the Wurrapunda con- uh, candidates coming through and that's worked out really, really well and I cannot speak highly enough for that organisation for what they're doing in yeah. society. Um, and on top of that, we've got, you know, the, the female participation bit 
settled into the company as well. And then we've moved into what's the Defence Force program, so actually assisting transitioning veterans into full-time, mm. you know, long-term employment with international qualifications. Just I want to I unpack the Indigenous um, element to it. Go for it. Because um, I, I had friends in the Army who were uh, Indigenous Australians. Mm. <laughs> Some of them I didn't even know. Yep. But it makes sense to me now. Yep. Like, it makes sense to me now. I understand it, you know, and I didn't didn't really seek out or understand their culture at all back in the 90s. I couldn't have given two shits. I mean, we had one guy, um, Jimmy Mai, my, one of the best soldiers I've ever seen, and I never even – I mean, he's he's black. He's Aboriginal. But I never saw that. I just saw Jimmy Mai, you know. That's it. It's, it it's, you didn't put him in that box. It's well, just, that's yeah. Jimmy, that's a mate of mine. Yeah, I just saw this awesome – Yeah. You know, back then he was a corporal and a sergeant, and I was like, I want to be like this guy. Yeah. But um, I heard the Governor-General – you know, the other day was was talking about Indigenous Australians. I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if you heard about this. And his speech was like, you know, he 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 was basically, you know, saying, "Here I am, and I'm, and I'm learning about this stuff." And as we, I guess, all are, mm. yeah. And there's so much of that history that we sort of didn't didn't understand or didn't hear. But how are they? Um, how do you make it inclusive if you don't have if you don't already have like it's like a chicken and the egg thing you don't already have indigenous australians working for the company that then bring them on on a mentor program it's mm-hmm. still it's still a you know um large red-headed um <laughs> irish background 100%. <laughs> you know i'm as non-aboriginal as you could possibly find I, I'm the so so, of so how does yeah and, and so and so you've said they're doing well so how are you how's that working out how how are they um being mentored Basically, we're a Punda Foundation. They've, they're assigned mentors. Um, they're all, all indigenous, right. can obviously indigenous uh, superstars in their own right. They're f- mainly sporting backgrounds. Um, you know, Chance Bain was previously down there before he's moved on with the Eagles now. And you know, we've got Troy, uh, Troy Cooks, one of them, Dave Wurpunda, and then uh, Jared is down there as well. Yeah. And basically, the whole point of them is that they have a mentor that's able to run them through the difficulties that they're going to find at home from their new workplace environment and then on top of that how to actually adapt to what they consider a white man's workplace environment so mm. they form that intermediary that bridge between both cultures mm. and for us it's just keeping the, the candidates on the straight and narrow and making sure because you know i've got no background in aboriginal culture of course so i don't know what the problems are faced mm. so for me how could you in, exactly yeah. so if i can bring in an ex uh, you know an, an expert in that mm. as a mentor it's a win-win. Yeah. I want the program to succeed. It's, it's not a tick box for us, and I truly believe that you know the, trend, the, the work programs we're providing is is doing a lot for that that person, their family, and, and society as a whole. Because we get them off the, the welfare safety net and turn them into a taxpayer. And your background's law. Yeah. And do you find that that's do you find that gives you support for the HSEQ role? HSC is going law. It's going legal. Yeah. It's, there's no doubt about it. The um the cert four days. I'm not going to say they're done, but the the whole industry's. I'm not too sure if you, if you're aware of what's going on in the background, but they try to harmonise it, and it's just made things worse. Has it really? <laughs> Victoria's. They've tried. They've tried to bring in this Work Health Safety Act. Victoria's thrown it out because it puts a lot of power in the, the hands of you know HSR reps, which they're worried about the unions getting hold of. Yeah. Uh, Queensland's born in industrial manslaughter after what happened at Dreamworld. Right. Um, very rushed. Which I think Western Australia is. Moving to or South, it was from a South Australian academic that raised it for Queensland, I, I believe. Marie Boland? Yeah. Yep. So she wrote the report about industrial manslaughter. Um, I, I heard her speak about it. It's it was dry. <laughs> it's, it was I've, tough to hear. Yeah. I've, I've never heard any legal uh, any legal speak that isn't dry, <laughs> but it's uh, it. Yeah. Look, for industrial manslaughter, there's a whole range. You've got to prove intent mm. that you've, you've that director in particular, or someone with control of a workplace, woke up that morning and said, "I want to kill Jim," or "I want to kill Jane." Right. You know, 
So it's going to be very hard from a legal point of view. It's mm. actually been in the Crimes Act in the ACT since 2003 and there's been zero prosecutions brought against it. This is what they don't mention. The, the way I interpret it was if, if they can prove that liability from a director to show that they made a, that there was a decision-making process where they cut something short that then led to the death of someone, they could be done for workplace um, homicide or whatever it's called. <laughs> what is it called? Manslaughter. Industrial manslaughter. Yeah. <laughs> workplace <laughs> homicide. <laughs> That's actually killing someone. You've been watching this for you. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, clearly I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, didn't do too bad in your 10 legal studies, though, yeah. Um, yeah, right, so so how does that affect, you know, the big companies like Rio and, and companies like that? that Everyone, everyone's on edge. So I've been to a few with the Australian Institute of Company Director Events, and it typically brings in that C-suite into different educational information sessions. Mm. And two words on everyone's mouth are cybersecurity and work health safety. Yeah. Because they're going, right, shit, we're actually potentially liable for this if it gets over the line. You know, it still isn't WA. In legal terms, WA stands for wait a while. We typically will look around the rest of the states and territories and go, ah, yeah, mate, no worries, she'll be right, give it a few years. Mm. Um, But it is looking likely it will be implemented over here, but how it's actually going to be enacted in the courtroom is a big question mark at this point in time. And that's where Marie Boland came in with the recommendations. It's actually on my report I'm going through at the moment. Um, But there's a whole range of stuff in there which is putting a lot more pressure on health and safety people, um, Mm. especially from my point of view, which is completely outside of the realm of health and safety Mm. and almost in the realm of psychiatrists and HR professionals. Wow. All right, because one of the questions I want to ask you, which might be linked to this because obviously it it has some background in education, if a veteran is looking at leaving the ADF and going into HSE – you know, I wanted to ask you what courses should they start looking at, mm. but obviously that's changing, isn't it, rapidly? It's changing. Um, there's no unified health and safety course. So you look at, like, use law, use nursing, doctors, there's, there's a, an engineer's almost, there's this, there's that staggered you will do this and you're a member right. of this. And, and there's a glide path. There it is, yeah. So it's, you know, that's, that's your career sorted out for you. So health and safety, I've met people who have doctorates and know absolutely nothing, and I've met people who have literally a Certificate three entry into the industry and they're absolute weapons. Right. It all depends on the passion that that person has for the industry and what they want to do. Yeah. In saying that, getting the health and safety behind anyone, or I highly recommend anyway, just to get that basic knowledge behind. Right. But it is A HSE degree? Yeah, so a HSE Certificate three, and yeah. as an absolute minimum, teach the administration, the paperwork, and... Mm. and Basically, a little bit of background of what the legalities mm. are, mm. and then obviously I'm biased. It's dry, isn't it? It's very dry, but mm. it's it's how you apply out in the field, mm. and from there moving into the law mm. stream to actually start looking at, uh, at how that law is going to apply and mm. how it's going to change the company that you're currently working for and the yeah. system that you're currently running. Um, the sergeants <coughs> and um, sergeants and warrant officers from the army in particular would have a, a reasonable background in in understanding the frameworks yeah. and HSE and risk management they just probably don't have a formal qualification but it wouldn't take much for them to um, to do that you know they're trying to unify it at the moment so um, the Australian Institute of Health and Safety is it's it's finally woken up there's new directors coming in towards the end of the year there's a new branding company there's new branding literally just came out during the week and what they're trying to do is unify the health and safety degrees in Australia and with Canadian equivalents, UK equivalents, American equivalents, so it becomes an international qualification. So an MOU has just been signed with Canada, mm. um, but again, it's a, it's a long road ahead simply mm. because it's such a fragmented industry. Mm. How are you finding the ADF veterans? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the business. Uh, if it was up to me, you wouldn't have an army left. Let's put it that way. <laughs> They're good, huh? Ropes, yeah. yeah. And what makes them so good, if, we can, if I can put you on the spot? I'll go for it. Um, mentality. It's the, uh, yeah. you know, that positive attitude, that... Uh, adaptability, you know, if this has happened, no worries, let's get this done. And they just get it. This is the best way. They're used to the environment. They know that things are completely out of their hands and they worry about the things that they can control and not the things that they can't control. Is is rope access a structured job in that, okay, here's the time you're going to be, be up. Here's the steps you need to go through in order to get over the edge. Here's mm-hmm. the work you have to do once you're there. Here's the process for dismantling. Is it fairly structured, it's I'm assuming? very structured and we work in pods of four. Right, so just perfect, isn't That's it? it? And out of that pot of four, you've got a level three who's the leader for that area. He's set up the work area or she's set up the work area mm. and they're in control. Have you, have you had a look at, of the 34 people that, that mm. work for you, um, you know, w- what sort of ranks they were when they – I mean, I know I'm probably asking you to delve into, into some stats you probably don't have off the top of your head, mate. Yeah, mainly, uh, you know, Lance Corporals yeah. around that wow. that area. We don't have too many guys and girls who have gone through Duntroon. Mm. Got a couple of navy guys, a couple of clearance divers, a couple of ex commandos as well, such as yourself. Mm. But it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a program that just comes from all walks of life, and some of them have been out for 10, 15 years, and some have literally just transitioned out and straight into our books. The commandos are good looking, aren't they? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you're that way inclined, yeah. what? Um, well, of course they are. It's part of our it's part of our um, selection process. So um, yeah, the fashion brigade. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, big watch. Anyway, um, so you know, we we discussed we were going to talk about. Um, relationship stress and um, sort of fractured homes. There we go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I I heard a, a professor talk about a professor. I'm pretty sure she was a professor. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, just because you got a PhD doesn't make you an expert in everything. By the way, it just makes you an expert in whatever that area or field you're in. <laughs> whatever the eighty thousand words that you've written on. Right. Is, that's correct. And she was talking yeah. about, um, you know, she was talking about sleep and fatigue management. At mine sites in particular, I still want to. Um, I still want to talk about. I was going to say unpack again. Can't say unpack again. I have to edit it out. Or not say unpack. I still want to talk about rope access on high rises because that stuff's cool. My kids love it. Yep. But um, yeah, she was talking in particular about you know fly in, fly, fly out, and right. and and mental health mm-hmm. and suicide and all this sort of stuff, right? And um, her, you know, her her um solution to that was really easy: mm. work less hours. Can't. Yep. Right. Um, get more sleep. Can't. Move on. Yep. Don't drink so much. Bit hard. Go right. Yep. Um, eat really healthy food. That's ridiculously hard, but yep. Yep. And um, you know, spend more quality time. Quality time. You know, talking to your family of an of an evening and playing games with the other people. Right. Anyway, so I listened to all this <laughs> diatribe, and I'm sitting there, yep. and and the elephant in the room for me is. Oh, and also it was the rostering, which is which which got my back up, right? Because the perfect roster for mental health, apparently, and I and I'm I probably tend to agree with this is an eight and six roster, right? Hollywood. Um, so it's eight and six, yeah, which is the best case, and people are getting paid good money, and if you do the, you do the numbers, they're they're getting some good weekends off with their families, and they and then yeah, anyway, 
full time salary for half the half the year. Yeah, just over half the year. Yeah. Oh no, half the year once you include leave and oh, we'll talk sick days soon too. I'd love to talk to a HSE guy about sick days. <laughs> so anyway, her her whole her whole idea yeah. about this was just you know just do all this stuff like go and play games with these mm. people at night and have barbecues and do all this stuff. Anyway. I talked, you know, I talked to people later on, and, and Ian Dunican's a good friend of mine. He used to work for Rio, and, he, yep. and he's a professor in um, sleep and performance. And, and I said to him, "These people are delusional, because first of all, it's the workers putting the pressures on themselves because they're like, hey, 'Hey, I'll do more hours.' So pressure, that's right. Give me, yep. give me more. I want more for more money. So now, you know, and also some of these workers' camps, while they're amazing, they might be forty-five minutes away from the from the site. Yep. Which means you've got forty-five minutes tacked on to each end of the day." After a 12-hour shift, so you're now at 14 hours where you're a captured person, yep. you might have one hour off yeah. for crib at some point, right? And so now you're talking a 4.30 in the morning start and an, and an, and an 8 to 8.30 finish at night, mm. and sleep is more important than actually going to the gym, but then some of these guys are going to the gym. But these professors are all about, oh, you know, these are the, these are the things you need to do to make, you know, to, to keep all this mental health and yeah. safety and 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 you know, you know all this other stuff, and the issue that they don't understand is the economics of it. Because a, a company's like, I've got, I've paid however many millions of dollars for this rig, for this truck, for this, you know, for this loader, for this jumbo, for this plant. Mm. It needs to be operating twenty four hours a day. That's the bottom line. Yep. To, in order to make that operate twenty four hours a day, you need a person on it for twelve hours. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> that person's. They, everyone says, oh, they're working 12 hours, but when you add the 45 minutes, and then the company won't pay that 45 minutes either side. No, that's another, that's another conversation. Yeah, and then, and then there's guys who, who, who might live in Bali, right? Or, or interstate. Or interstate. Margaret River. And yep. they're paying their way to Perth, and then the flight from Perth is paid in some companies. Yep. The economics of it is what's actually driving people mad. It's not the time because, and then and then let's all get together and play bloody you know volleyball at eight o'clock at night. I've seen a rugby pitch on a mine site. It's like, what? Where on? When on earth are you going to use that? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I want you know I'd like to see Aussie strength gyms all over the mine sites too. <laughs> but guys won't. You know, there'll be a few guys out there Olympic lifting, but mm. you know they'll be the axes. Mm. And like you say, they'll be, you know, they'll end up blooming eating themselves, stop eating, and and they burn themselves out. Yeah, burn themselves out. Oh God! Okay, unpack that, mate. Mate, where do I even start? The I'll, I'll give you a typical. I always talk in stereotypes because yeah. as much as people go, don't talk in stereotypes. It's it's it happens in sites. It is yeah. yeah. Right. So professors, whilst I'm not doubting they know this stuff, they in a vacuum. Up, yeah, they they've never been on a site. They they don't live in the experience that. Oh, I've they've been on the site for, for a day trip. Right. Yes. <laughs> Try doing. I mean, I I mean, I'm not. I'm not a miner. Yep. I go around talking about leadership startups, mm. you know, and I work for. I'm up at four thirty, yep. And I'm and I'm out there the whole time. I'm on the pre-start in the morning, the pre-start in the evening, and then I go back. And then by the time I get, I'm wrecked. And I'm a, I, I was a lot fitter before <laughs> yeah. this job because it bloody kills you. It's not just it's the mental stress as well that goes yeah. with it. It's just everything. But you know, the typical miner will typically go on a mine site. Make all the money, and then when they're bored or when they're sitting in the room at night, they'll find ways to spend their money. So, mm. hey, I need a premium economy ticket to Las Vegas. Mm. I need, you know, after a period of time, it's like, oh, I really need a black Range Rover. You know, that's that's exactly what. Hell I'm, yeah, yeah, that's you know. So I'm going to completely mortgage myself up to the absolute eyeballs. I'm Golden handcuffs. Yeah, that's it. Back in the day, it was you know, get loans for almost three four percent of a house you know, yeah. deposit. 
let's just completely load myself up there. And it's just you're working to pay for the toys that you're never in because you're always away. Right. So, and then a you know a potential wife or a partner comes along, takes half of it. Yeah, that's um, and mm. then you're you know, the, the whole point is is that you're stuck on a mine site. The family law court, like WA, was special as I said in the email. We've WA is the only court where we've got a special family court to deal with this problem. Really, three and a half year backlog currently at the moment. No way. And the whole, the whole reason is you know the family breaks down and typically the male will be on the site. But the court won't want to inconvenience the children, so the children stay in the house. So the the husband or the ex partner, whatever you want to call yourselves at that point in time. They are left paying the bills, left, right and centre for the house. Mm. Then they have to provide some form of child support. Mm. Then they have to go find a, a residence themselves to go fund and live in. Working for nothing. Working for nothing. And then on top of that, lawyer fees, a motion, three and a half year wait for the family law court system. And that doesn't take into account if... And, and it's not grandfather clause to go back three and a half years of that payment. Okay. Holy shit. And then on top of that, it's, you know, if, if the other partner's moved on to a new partner, that new wealth isn't counted towards wow. anything. Yeah. So you can potentially be up the creek. And wow. if you're de facto, WA were a bit special, your, your superannuation isn't touched for whatever reason. It's just it's what's always happened. Like but if you're married, um, the superannuation gets touched. And because you're the one that's been away, you can watch your, your superannuation typically tend to be higher. Um, yeah, pretty much halved in this, wow. in this, in this space. So you're, ba- you're basically, you could be mid-20s, mid-30s, and you're back to where you were when you're 18 years of, old, uh, of age. Either liquidate absolutely everything and start again or declare bankruptcy or just try and find some form of sense of normality in that. Man, that is doomsday stuff. That's crazy. So we say to all our guys and girls, one of my best mates is a financial planner. We, we, I legally have to say, well, I don't get any any commissions or anything from That's not the point. I'm just passionate about people not going through that yeah. same thing that I see all too regularly. Yeah. So go get a financial planner, sit down. It costs you a grand. You claim yeah. back on tax and you actually have a plan where you do have the money to throw up against the wall and buy your toys, but you also have a plan where it's the exit strategy from the industry because you're not going to be working away until mm. the age of 50. What's, what's his name? What's his name? Throw it out there. Nick Horseman. Nick Horseman. Yep. All right. Cool, yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. No, that's cool. Um, but he's, you know, he's <laughs> him and Troy Hart, one of his bosses. They've um they've been fantastic. Yeah. With us so far, and yeah. we've, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've so you do financial planning for your for your guys and girls. We, we we don't. I'd love to be able to have a whole induction package where we we look after the person as a whole. Uh, it sounds really lame, really cheesy. No, I like that, dude. No, no, that's probably. that's good. Because yeah. we're setting people up for success, and if they're happy in their job and they're happy in their role, then we're going to have a better workforce, a better culture, and it's going to result in. Basically, in my mind, better works, less uh, and less risk when it comes to the safety side of things because that person's mind is on the task as opposed yeah. to all this other shit. Going yeah, can on you imagine it? Can you imagine being separated out there? Jesus, because <laughs> as I said, you normally start four and three, then eight and six, and then oh, you know, we I really need a V eight Malu Ute, so that goes with two and one, and then mm. oh, well, kids need private school education, so three and one. Mm. It's like one investment property, four and one, and that's it. That's the, you're never home, so mm. you miss all your kids, you know. One of the guys on Facebook the other night, he's missed his child's first first words and first crawl. Yeah. And it's like... <laughs> yeah, for it's what? Just, just exactly, for, for a couple of dollars to go work over in Queensland for a few days. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was talking to Ian about this, and I remember we were talking about the fact that, you know, you, you they think they're going, they're going into this great job, and it is quite good, but if you don't have that exit strategy, and if you don't save the money and, and then do things on that six mm-hmm. days off to strengthen your position... You know, whether that's other study or, or whatever. I mean, there's a theme here. It's the same with the army. You know, there's a theme here. It's like always go into something with an exit strategy of what you're going to do when you get out. That's right. Bloody hell, I should listen to my own advice. <laughs> um, 
it's, it's, it's just all too common. And honestly, I'm, I'm sick of seeing it because no one puts their hand up. And much like that lecture you were saying, your professor earlier, no one puts their hand up and calls bullshit because they don't want to be the person that is seen as negative. And it's like, I'm not negative. I, I live this. I'm passionate about this. It's, this is the reality yeah. that's going on. Oh, yeah. And these people, this, this particular person with a PhD, with all the best intentions, went out there and looked at it you know, looked at it and really worked hard to find solutions. But but the problem is that the solutions work until humanity, humans, get involved in it. But the, 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 the psychology of the individual changes it because they're chasing the buck. But the thing is, like, all these solutions, all these processes, these flowcharts, they treat humans like robots. Mm. It's like we're not, you know, Terminator was a thing a couple of years ago. It's not, we're not all no. robots. So that's not the way that we rock, we rock and roll. We're humans with emotion and humans with backgrounds and different ability for different things. So why would you think one system would have a fit-all approach for absolutely everything out on a, yeah. on a site? Um, let's talk rope access okay. in, in the city. Cool. Um, have you gone off any buildings yourself? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of exposure up there. It's, it's, it's quite a hot. That's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's not for the faint-hearted, but it's, it's that confidence of just knowing what you're doing and the mm. confidence in your team around you that are going to look after you if anything, uh, if anything touch wood doesn't go wrong. And, and I would assume that uh, drones will replace some of that. We're seeing it at the moment. Um, are you, is your company diversifying and going into a drone division at all? Yes. Okay, so cool. We've, um, you know, Fucking smart motherfuckers. Yeah, too. <laughs> we, just, we have to just be ahead, you know. Yeah. Two, three years ago, rope access was innovation at the end. That was like awesome and now it's... Well, that's the norm. What else? What else right. have you got? What other toys you got in the cupboard out the back? So, yeah, we're bringing out the drones, which is the, the the next thing for us in the industry. We're bringing out, much like I said before, and the safety netting. We've got suspended, you know, uh, scaffolding services which yeah. are now going on. So we've got all these ancillary services which have to- bolted onto the rope access. Right. But it's bringing that technology in and also reducing that risk. So what we now can do is we can tie the uh, the side of a safety net to the bottom of a drone and fly the drone out to the other side of the work area. So wow! Attach the wall. So, that's wicked. Yeah. So that's that's what I mean. Like that's that's where the, the innovations are now coming yeah. into the sector. Drones, unfortunately, they have a battery life of about fourteen minutes mm. for a decent one. They cost six figures, and the wedgies up north just the eagles come down and take them out of the sky. So it's wow. Yes. Is that right? That's right. It's, <laughs> so um, I've seen grown men cry when their when their drone is taken out. It's uh, yeah, it's it's funny for me, but I've got to obviously keep a straight face and say, I oh, know what a shame. Let's go get this sorted. You know. I'm I'm doing an interview in a few weeks with a mate of mine who started a drone business. I'll put you in, in touch with him and, and see if there's any synergies there. Fantastic. Um, and I know that a lot of the oil and gas companies are now using drones on their on their platforms yep. um, to to check for you know valves and and um, all those sort of things and. Um, Skynet is alive. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's in, it's in, yeah, and you can and it's real time data. It is because you got the HD camera. There's no excuse, and you can send it down areas where humans. Well, I physically can't fit. Smaller guys can, but you don't want to put them in that risk. So if yeah. you send them down real tight, confined areas, they don't have to worry about anything and just report back on the footage that you see. Yeah. Then you can deal with the problem as opposed to going down face-to-face. and deal I was going to say a drone's not going to clean a window, but actually it probably could one day. One day. It would be a different type of robot. Wouldn't surprise me. If you told me 10 years ago I'd be getting cars with strangers, um, I'd say no. And now, look, Uber's all around. <laughs> so that's, it's, it's going to happen. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, what, you know, we'll we'll keep going for a little bit. So, what are you seeing around, um, you know, drugs and um, alcohol and stuff like that in 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 across that the the industry and how do we deal with that from a HSE perspective? Because it seems to be 
like I was away for a few years in the Middle East and I came back and suddenly it was normalised. Like, you know, you've got these, you know, show like RBT and suddenly they're checking for methamphetamines and the bloke's like, yeah, I just had a bit of meth, you know, a couple of, a couple of days ago. Yeah, and I'm like, what? 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 Why aren't you going to... Anyway. It's a scourge. It's yeah. it's literally, from what I've been told about it, I've never done drugs in my life. Right? No, I'm me just, either. I'm just as clean as I pretty much come a couple of yeah. years every now and again and I'm happy. But yeah. it's this... Ice thing is single-handedly changed every single HSC risk management system that you can yeah. possibly think of. Yeah, you know it's 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 right. It's normalised. I hate yeah. to say it, but it truly is normalised now. But, and kids don't do drugs. Um, yeah. So you know, one of my one of my things from a leadership perspective is if you're a leader, then you have a vision on where you want that business to go. So, for instance, you know, Tasman Rope Access. We want to be. Let's say. Let's say the leader. Of the CEO says to everyone, okay, what we want to be is the employer of choice for ADF personnel on the west coast of Australia, mm-hmm. right? That, that might, I mean, that may not be anything like your vision, but it's a vision, right? To get there along that roadmap, mm-hmm. you know, you need certain cultural things, cultural behaviours, cultural habits, cultural tasks. Mm-hmm. One of those cultural supporting habits could be that the supervisors do randomised drug tests every day. Then what that does is it reinforces it, – it's not on the individual. The individual goes home and goes, oh, you know, we do, we do randomised drug testing, testing every day. Says it to his missus. Mm. You know, says it to his – or se- she says it to, his, to, her, to her husband or whatever, you know, just to play the whole gender thing. So either, either side, right? Yep. Then, then the wife or the husband or whoever's talking to other people and they're like, oh, you know, this company's really good. You know, your kids should try and get a job with them. They've got absolutely no drug policy, mm. right? Then what that does is it creates that cultural framework where now you've got people applying to you because you are the employer of choice because you won't let people do that. You've got those exacting 100%. expectations. But if you don't have those cultural things in place to check, then you can't use that as part of your roadmap to get to that final destination of being the employer of choice because people aren't talking about you in that way. You know, I'll go to go to Tasman Rope Access. I don't give a shit. Yeah, I know, no. I know exactly what you're talking about. We yeah. have we have people who have said to us, "We are no longer working for XX company because of that exact reason." Right. I don't want to be under the, the you know un, under the supervision of someone <laughs> which Can you can't keep their mouth still. You know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine it's, it? It's it's unreal. The the problems that are out there at the moment yeah. is, is absolutely unreal. You know, I've been off planes. There's been sniffer dogs at the airport waiting for us straight into the toilets. And for anyone listening, you know, don't drink on site if there's a big event that mm. night and then mm. go to work the next day. So State of Origin, AFL Grand Final, Super Rugby Final, whatever it is. Are they going to check you? They, they block off all the roads. Yeah. You know, and there was, a, there was a case last year in one of the sites where this happened. He's mm. decided to turn his headlights off. I don't know how because they're all auto on, but he's turned mm. the headlights off, done a Yui, and then decided to roll a truck down the side of a hill wow. to get away from a breath, you know, breath test. And it's like everyone in the game knows when you sit in the pub that afternoon or that evening, don't drink too much, have light beer, have medium mm. strength, and... Because they'll be testing tomorrow, but yet some people still push that boundary. And there's other boundaries as well where there's been cases where people have actually been selling and storing drugs on site. Wow. I love it. I mean, I love a beer, especially after a hard workout. It's like, you know, on a hot day, you do you know, you might go and do Murph or something like yeah. that and then come back and go, you know, slam down a blooming. I'm not fit enough CrossFit anymore, mate. <coughs> so. Oh, no. Dude, I'm too old. I'm not fit either. I just, <laughs> I just try and chuck it up still a bit. Anyway. But yeah, but I mean, I, so I can sort of see where a person would go, I'm going to have a beer. But. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do a whole heap of meth and go to work. 
Yeah, what the fuck? How, like, how redundant is your life if that's... Maybe we're too old, mate. I don't but, know. Oh, but it goes back to the previous thing. It's that hopelessness of be working away, the mental health issues, and if things are going wrong at home, maybe that's their escape. That's the right. only way. So that reminded me of something that a, a mate told me um, a while ago, which is the issues we're seeing now, especially with the drug issues, mm. is because back during the boom, these guys were working you know, two on, two off, but those two weeks off, while they're not parenting, while they're not being dads, to boys in particular, mm. those boys are going off the rails. Those dudes are now mining. Mm. And, and they haven't had any real structure while they were growing up. And the cycle continues. And the cycle's worse because, because now there is no boom. Mm. Well, it, we think it's coming back. I don't know. What, I'm interested to get your thoughts on that. Oh, it's, it's coming. Everyone's, mm. Every company's building the exact same asset at the exact same time and needs the exact same workforce. So it's, it's on the way. Mm. It's, um, it's just when that trigger's pulled. Mm. Yeah, so, so these kids were growing up without those, you know, without those role models or, or they weren't there as much as they should have been. And, now, and, you know, and then they've gone off the rails and now we've got this population in Perth, this unemployment, and they're all, they're all going to these lower, you know, they're not mining engineers, mm. you know. They're, they're going to these lower jobs, these lower positions. Um, and it's hard to get into the army now, too. So it's difficult. Like the gig economy, like people are—they yep. need to be upskilled before they get in there. They're taking the best, the best of the best <laughs> back in the day. Good yeah. So, um, so it's not like when I joined the ADF, when I joined the army, it was like if you didn't know what else you were going to do, you know, it was like That's it was the there, it was yeah. there for you to to help you become an adult. You know, whereas now it's like there could be you can have nothing. You know, it's like Jesus, I got no. You know, mm. so hopefully that hopefully, as you say, that um, boom comes back, and they find you know people can upskill and, and like we were talking about before, it's really important to go into it with an idea of what you want to do. You know, when you when you get out and upskill, study constantly, constantly upskill, constantly study. Just mm. even if it's one unit or one little assignment, one something or other, just get something done as the. Know, the, the weeks and the months tick by. Yeah. Because there will come a time where you basically say, this is enough, I've, this is shit, I've had enough, I, I want to be home. Mm. That's, that's the end of it. And you won't, you'll be mentally burnt out. You don't want to get back on a charter plane to the site ever again. Yeah, yeah. My first um, flight up to Linster. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's a lovely place, yeah. My first flight up there, it was like going into Kandahar circa 2008. You know, everyone was like looking down and dreading it. Well, there's certain sites where it's it, the camp is phenomenal, the food is phenomenal, yeah. and there's other sites where the, it's basically been cost-effectively driven yeah. into the toilet. So right. the food is we, we've got guys, um, one of our own guys, he's owns his own gym out in Balcatta. He cooks his own food and brings it up in a, duff, in a duffel bag for the week. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard yeah. of this guy. I have actually heard of this guy. <laughs> he's legendary. <laughs> he's, so, and yeah. the other side of the coin is is that they actually had to tell their own people stop cooking in your room and throwing the grease down. Oh. down the sink because it's clogging up all the traps right and instead of actually saying hey what's what's going on with the food here maybe mm. you should look at that their mm. reaction was oh let's send out a whole bunch of notices and emails about mm. not cooking food on the site yeah those um companies that run those camps they run lean very yeah and if you ask any miner would you pay 20 bucks a day to have whatever food you want yep yeah no problem yeah they all quite happily dish out yeah which i, I don't understand why that initiative hasn't been brought in either no nah. Mate of mine builds workers camps over in the UAE, and they they know what they're doing. They've got swipe cards, you know, you pay as you go, that sort of thing. FPOS system, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, smart. Do you reckon there's much bullying going on out at the camp still? Different types, 
Yeah. I wouldn't be naive to say it's it's all hold hands and skip into the sunset, but it's yeah. uh, it's social media stuff and oh look, social media is a completely different ball. Oh, I'm so happy I grew up in a world that MySpace was pretty much the number one, and the, the only thing we were concerned about is you know rating our friends from number one to eight on our own page. Yeah, but the the prevalence of online social bullying, it's not too like the older guys get it. It's like oh, I'm just you know delete it, don't care. The younger guys, their whole identity, their whole personal brand is the word they will use, is revolves around that and mm. they can't have anything. They can't accept any criticism. They can't accept any mm. any form of feedback. We have to be very careful as a company about how we do it because we can tell mm. someone like me, be blunt, don't give me a shit sandwich, you know, straight up, this is what you need you to improve on, fantastic, mm. thank you, I'll put a plan in place. Mm. The younger guys, you really have to dance around the truth and then sort of lead them into where you want them to go. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, right. Do you, do you guys use social media as a tool? We do. Huge tool for us. Yeah. Um, simply because rope access has been very underground and yeah. we don't sponsor any of our content, we don't put it out, but you know, our workforce are that passionate about it. Rope is a very special breed in themselves. They're quite happy to talk rope access all afternoon and they will share the information yeah. um, on our behalf most how, of the time. How long does it take you to train a guy out? Guy or girl? Sorry, just guy. Whatever. It all turns on the role, but an errata is the industrial you know, rope access course basically. The, the international one is uh, is five days. Is it a rigging type qualification? Rigging is an extra five days on okay. top of that rigging dogging. So once you've got those two, um, you're pretty much set for an entry-level position into the industry, plus a couple of little unit codes here, there and everywhere, and inductions for different companies. Do they have to pay for that themselves? They do. Um, and then come to you for a job? They do, but the ADF program that we're running, um, basically we either front the costs or the, the company which we're utilising to bring them on board will front the cost, and the same goes to the Wheeler Pointer Foundation, we'll front the cost for that because that's something that we, we truly believe in, yeah. providing that um, providing that service. So we'll take the hit financially because we want to see that person succeed in that role. And and what happens is generally an ADF person comes in mm-hmm. and you know that person's going to pass. Yeah. Yeah, 90%. It's, it's, almost, more. it's more, almost you have the job. Like just going past this, yeah. Just don't don't stuff up. Yeah, and if you're recruiting the right people from the right areas mm. within ADF, you got you could give yourself a hundred percent success rate with that. I'm sure. Uh, um, our first round of, of vets that came through, every single one of them was ironing their personal protective equipment the morning before they were getting to site. Yeah, it's just it, it, crazy. It is. It is sitting there going. Like, you spent five minutes of your morning ironing the board and make a suit. It's like wow. Okay. Like, yeah, it's a bit institutionalised, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> But that's awesome, though. It's awesome. There's a, there's a degree of, you know, there's a lot of. It's like I still make my bed when I go out and site, mm. and the the people that clean the rooms have left a note for me saying, "Hey, thanks so much for." <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, if I don't get up and make my bed first thing, it's a terrible start of the day. That's right. <laughs> you know, it, it means we're yeah. being shot at. <laughs> you know, I'm out the room for a reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I fully I fully get why they're doing that, and I, I do think there is a, a certain. It's not just pride. It is a they, they have been institutionalised in a certain way, but what's happened is they've been um, given motivation mm. and now they're self-motivated. That yep. before that it was instilled discipline and now it's self-discipline. Um, and, it, and it sort of tempers off a little bit, you know. Well, mate, I'll tell you, they, they, the standard is high. Like yeah. the, the, the regular core crew of, of guys and girls that we have, they, they look and go, right, that's the standard now I have to push myself to get back up to. Yeah. Do you, have any, do, you have, do you have any vacancies at the moment? We've got vacancies all the time. We just The, the work is just unreal, the amount of volume that's coming in at the moment. We, um, we set up over in Brisbane about a year and a half ago, and right. that's going gangbusters. Brisbane, we, Vegas. Yeah, good old Brizzy. It's uh, just out there in Banyo by the airport. And uh, we set up in South Australia now about okay. two months back. So yeah. wireless just, yeah, just can't keep up. Yeah, great. So how do people reach 
um, Tasman Rope Access if they're looking to, for an interview or looking to put their CV forward? Uh, we're all over the, the social media channels at yep. Tasman Rope Access or the, we've actually got a Dropbox available on our website, tasmanropeaccess.com and you can submit all your details through there. And there's also a contact us form that goes to the right people if, yeah. uh, if people have any questions. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Liam? <sighs> I'm up, easy, I'm up to you, mate. Whatever you are. Let's talk about HSE. Let's go. Tell me it. something. Tell me something I don't know about HSE. HSE? Yeah. What do you love about it? Uh, the different personalities that you're, you're pretty much in charge of a, of a there's no greater honour of being in charge of looking after someone's life. Dude, it's, it's really that, we're going to be good friends, you and me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it yeah. sounds, again, corny, cheesy, but my background, you know, I lost my father to a workplace accident, so that's where Fuck, my, did you really? Yeah, so my old man fell off a roof um, when I was 17. So yeah. you are friggin' passionate about this shit. Yeah, because I've lived, breathed, and eaten it, mate. I've seen the family unit break down. I've seen the assets lost. I've seen the mentality of a family completely change, and to this day, I still, like, half the family don't talk to me. Or my my mum because they blame her for what happened. Don't right. make sense. But for me, that's that's the passion because like yeah, you may make a stupid decision, but think of your kids because I'll put myself in that kid's position, going well shit, I'm seventeen, I need my dad now because I'm moving into an adult, mm. and he didn't come home. That was pretty much it. And you went and did law. Yeah. So when I was seventeen, um, basically dad fell off a roof. So I'll give you context. Dad fell off a roof. Whole bunch of medical complications led to a stroke, and that stroke was basically nine and a half out of ten on severity. So the right side of his body completely paralysed, brain mm. damaged. Wheelchair bound, so he went from being like six foot two, 110 kilos, solid as all hell, to this pretty much 60 kilo Make a Wish Foundation poster is the best way I can put it, you know. Mm. And the the family unit, as we knew it, my brother was still in high school, I was still coming out, and you know, we literally just finished year 12. And my mum and I sat down and was like, right, we've got to keep Sean on the straight and narrow and make sure he finishes high school. And then we can, and then mum went through the whole, as you can imagine, a partner of 25 years, a husband, and that's, she, they were dating a high school sweetheart since mm. 13, so that, she knew nothing else. Mm. So when it came to this, that, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of. So you became the rock. Yeah, well, I had yeah. to. I was the man of the house, and that's yeah. you know, people have always said you mature, and it's like, yeah, because yeah, I, no I, I had to learn about interest rates, I had to learn about how to deal with insurance companies and mediators, and from, right. from the age of pretty much seventeen onwards. And this is just when Google was, you know, I was still using Yahoo and you know, Ask Jeeves, you know, mm. <laughs> so mm. trying to find the information. Mm. I was going to the library most nights, just reading whatever books I can to try and get my, my knowledge up to these people which were coming at us left, right, and centre. Wow, you know, so moving into the health and safety world was, was pretty much a no-brainer because that's. Honestly, what gets me out of bed every morning? It's the yeah. The so, so your dad had a a work at heights accident. He was on a roof, yes, and he, he subsequently died from that. Yeah, so basically, ten years he was left permanently disabled, mm. and then in the end, throat cancer. Yeah, got him. Um, it was quick. It was three years, so yeah. three weeks, I should say. Oh yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, for ten years of um of the family's life, dad's been pretty much wheelchair bound, and yeah. Okay, so wow, and then you and now you're. The HSC lead for Tasman Rope Access, which is a working at heights company, really. Yeah, so it's just everything's lined up. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So that's that's honestly where the passion comes from. So yeah. when I get, I, it's I'm, it's not. So you it's can talk of it with some. I can definitely talk. I don't like talking about it too much, to be very honest. Because yeah. I think but you can stand in front of people and go, "Hey, I'll fucking tell you how this shit can fuck you up." Yeah. Your family, okay. the money. Everything. I can tell you how you lose 200 grand of savings. I can yeah. tell you how to lose all your assets. I can tell you how it feels when a sheriff turns up to the door saying, yeah. get out of your house, we own everything. I can yeah. tell you yeah, everything that goes on in the background right. of that of that part of life. Yeah, so, you're an expert in it. Yeah, I've right. got a PhD in it, but it's uh, <laughs> close to. Yeah, yeah. wow, man. Oh, Liam, thanks very much for sitting down with the Warrior You podcast. Your story is amazing. Um, 
it's a brilliant company, Tasman Rope Access. And I, I think I've read somewhere, let me have a look at this, that you were nominated. Oh, no, you were awarded the National Diversity Inclusion Champion Award, Tasman Rope Access, by the Australian Institute of Health and Safety. Yeah. Is that you personally? That was, that was me, but I take it on behalf of the team because there was a lot. The of, social impact program. Yeah, it was, it was a whole team effort. My name's on it, but it's, uh, you know, the board of directors, our CEO, the general manager, all the guys and girls out in the field, they were the ones that were made the project, you know, program successful. I, was, I just woke up one day with an idea. And shortlisted for the Prime Minister's Veterans Awards. Yeah, that was a, that was a crazy one. That was a, a strange email to receive, so you'd be nominated, so I was like, cool, right? And That's brilliant. Yeah, it was, uh, it was... I didn't know which Prime Minister was going An to Australian mining... Team, Australian Mining's Emerging Leader of the Year. Yeah, so that was another big crazy one. So. Dude, got more accolades than, <laughs> than me. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Hey, congratulations. Thank you very much. All right, cool. Um, yeah, we'll do something again soon. Thanks, man. Lovely, thank you. Righto, let me just wrap a few things up. Before I go, I just want to let you know that I'm teamed up with Patreon. This is so that you can donate assistance to the podcast. Obviously, putting all this together each week does come at a financial and a time cost. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can head to www.patreon.com forward slash warrioru and you can throw in whatever you feel like. It's greatly appreciated. And there are some cool giveaways on the site too for different tiers of sponsorship. So please check it out. Um, thanks to my newest Patreon, Patreon donator, Marcus, for the $5 a month. Cheers, brother. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm just amazed that anyone's actually listening to the podcast at the end here to even go to Patreon. But obviously you did, so cheers, man. Um, Right, and finally, just to end the show, this week the podcasts I've personally listened to have been as follows. I've listened to the Rich Roll podcast. It was a really great one with his dad. It was, um, was worth listening to. The Jocko Willick podcast, of course, and I listened to How I Work by Mantha Imber. Righto, thanks everyone, and remember, live a life worth living. Catch you later. Just when you thought you didn't need another jacket, along comes the Kill Capture Pathfinder jacket. I could bore you with all of the Spec Ops design features, but what you really want to know are the benefits of owning this piece of tough luxury. Well, you'll walk into any room and immediately dominate it. If you're wearing it for business casual, you'll close the deal. Wearing it to a sporting event, and your team's going to win. It's light, so you can pack more things in your grab bag, and it's tougher than you are too, which let's face it, that's pretty cool because not much else is. It comes in a military-grade Pelican case and has a tracking beacon included because your nemesis is going to try and take it from you and you'll want to monitor that. It's a jacket of choice for Mad Dog Mattis, the actor Dan McPherson, Nick Warner, the former head of ASUS, and I've got one too. Go to the site www.killcapture.com and use the coupon code TEAMAUSTRALIA, all capitals. You'll love the after-sale service, the quality and the styling of this limited edition special operator jacket. I wear mine with jeans and a t-shirt for the weekend rides on my Norton Commando. Occasionally, with a dress shirt, pants, when I go to tequila bars. I'll be wearing it to this year's book launch too. Pick yourself one up today. That's www.killcapture.com. That's capture with a K. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. 
one of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 